We'll pray as we uh, get ready to get started. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you today for your blessings and mercy. We thank you that uh, all that you've done for us this week, God, you've been good to us, Lord, and we owe you praise and we owe you worship. Father, we owe you everything. And so, Lord, we ask today that as we come and we, uh, we open your word, God, and we look at, your, look at what you've written for us, God, that you would just um, that you would move our hearts, that you would just um, let your spirit come in this place in such a way, Father, that we would, uh, we would see your word for what it is and that you would speak to us through it, God, and that you would change us. Lord, we, uh, we depend on you for our hearts to be changed. Lord, we can't do it in our own self. We can't do it in our own strength. And anything that we learn how to do, God, we have to do in your power. And so, God, we, we completely dependent upon you today. And we just ask that you would uh, give us your word in the way that you want it to, that you want it given and help us to hear it. And we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if y'all, uh, if you got, if you got little kids, uh, you uh, end up having to watch them Disney movies all the time. And nowadays they're they're getting better, but used to be they they were all musicals, and I hate musicals. I hate uh, I hate when they when everything stops and they go singing songs and. And right in the middle of the whatever, and I know it took me it took me a good eight months to get that Frozen song out of my head when Sophie was walking around singing it forever. Um, and so when you think of when you think of the book of Luke is what we're going through, you don't really think of uh, a musical. But here in the first two chapters, we're going to see four different songs. And today we're going to look at the first of those four songs. Um, of course, they're not songs in the way that we think of them. They're more like psalms. Uh, and the one that we're going to look at today is Mary's, Mary's song. Mary's, it's called the Magnificat. That's the word that means magnify. And that's uh, what she's going to say my, at the very beginning. My soul magnifies the Lord. And um, we're going to see that uh, she, she comes out with, uh, she comes out out of her heart with this, um, I don't know, this exuberant praise of God, this worship of God from the depths of her heart. And what we're going to see as we look at this, only 10 verses, so it's not going to take us long. What we're going to see is that God is owed our worship. God is owed our worship. And she is going to, she's going to explain these. She's going to be singing this song, singing this, this psalm, praising God and glorifying him. And she's going to do it based on the two things that we all see that we all should worship God. Number one, because of who he is, because he's God and he deserves worship all by himself, no matter what's going on. And number two, because of the things that he's done. I mean, you can look around in your own life and see the things God's done for you and who he is and who he is as God himself, the one who, the one who has all authority. And that's why, that's how Mary worships him. So before we, we start, we're going to start in verse 46. That's where Mary begins this, this psalm of praise. And remember the context. Remember what's going on. Uh, we kind of, we kind of, uh, we're kind of breaking it up week by week. We're not able to take too much of the text, so it's easy to get everything kind of disjointed if you don't remember where we came from. Remember, Gabriel came to Mary and he proclaimed that she was going to be. She's blessed and favored of the Lord. She's received grace of God. Uh, she has been chosen to bear the Messiah. Uh, Gabriel came and he said, "Nothing's going to be impossible for the Lord." He he spoke to Mary and told her all these things. And then Mary took off to go to Elizabeth's house. And that was about, you know, 60, 70 miles away. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really a small trip. She didn't just walk down the road. And so Mary goes into Elizabeth's house. And remember, as soon as Mary greeted her, John the Baptist, which was in Elizabeth's belly, uh, she, he, he uh, uh, leaped in her belly and, Mary, and Elizabeth pronounced blessing on Mary. Y'all remember that? 
Y'all good? Okay. And so she pronounced blessing and she said, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the, the, the mother of the Lord and, and all those things. And as soon as that blessing goes forth, remember it said Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she blessed Mary. And so you have the Holy Spirit coming upon Elizabeth, her pronouncing a, a blessing upon Mary. And then this is what Mary says in response. So you got Elizabeth standing there. The baby in her has leaped because Mary has, has spoken, the mother of the Lord. Elizabeth has pronounced a blessing on Mary. And this is Mary's response. Mary's response is this song of praise and worship. And you're going to see as we walk through this, uh, it's going to be three, four or five things uh, that, that we see that why God is owed our praise. He's owed our worship. Um, but what we're going to see is they all really revolve around two things. Who God is and what God has done. And those are the same things in your life. God has owed your worship. He's owed your obedience. He's owed. Uh, a lot of times we, uh, especially when... You know, we talk about accepting Jesus and you need to, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything bad about that at all. But the reality is that God is King of Kings. Jesus is Lord of Lords, whether you believe he's Lord of Lords or not. There's going to come a day when everyone's going to realize whether they, whether they like it or not, that Jesus is truly King of Kings. He doesn't need us to affirm him we need him to affirm us. And so uh, that's what we're going to see. And so Mary worships. And this is what her worship looks like. When this, her heart just comes spilling out with this as uh, uh, Elizabeth blessed her. It says, verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That's, that's kind of what worship looks like. Now, when we talk about worship, we're not, I'm not just talking about what you do with your hands or what you do with your mouth as we sing and we, we praise God. Of course, those things are included. We're, we're not in segments. We're all, I'm one person and you're one person. So we worship with all that we have, with our heart, with our mind, with our mouth, with our hands, with our posture, with, with all the things. We worship with all of those things. And so they're all important. But what she says here is my, my soul is magnifying him. Now, what that, that word magnifies means to make it make great. My soul is making God great. Now, you're not making God great, but we're talking about being great in your soul, in the deepest part of her. She is, she is magnifying the Lord. She is, she is praising and worshiping and adoring God in the very deepest part of her and down in her soul. It's not just lip service. It's not just coming and doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's not being in the right place at the right time. You know, remember Mary was, uh, she was a, a, a faithful Jewish girl. So she would have been raised in the synagogue. She had, would have been around the worship of God. She would have been around the teaching of God. We're going to see here as we look through this. I'm not going to have time today to show you, but almost every line in this song that she sings is an Old Testament passage. And so she knew her Bible for sure. She knew exactly all these things. She had grown up in them. But here you see the overflow of her heart, that her heart, the deepest part of her is worshiping God. I want to ask you, when's the last time that the deepest part of you, I mean, way down in your gut, way down in your heart, in your soul, it overflows flowed with worship of God. I know that we, we come and we, we sing songs and we raise our hands and we, we come and we, we're, we're truly thankful. We're truly appreciative of what God has done and who, who he is. But I'm talking about 
down in the depths of the deepest part of you, you adore God. You are seeking after him. You are worshiping him with all that you have and all that you are. She says, my soul is magnifying God. It's the deepest part of me here. You know, she had grown up in all these things. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and Elizabeth pronounces her blessed, Mary is in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Elizabeth, fellowshipping with her, and the the baby has leaped knowing that Mary is going to be the mother of the Lord, and all of this just comes pouring out of her. I almost have, I almost struggle to explain what it's like. I almost struggle to explain to you how it is and, and what it looks like when that happens. But understand that what what we're saying here is that the deepest part of you Way down deep. I'm not talking about just just outward expressions, but the deepest part of you is worshiping God, magnifying the Lord, making him great in down in your soul. Uh, The best way I can explain it, and you've probably some of y'all have heard this story before, but I've uh, there was a long time that I realized that scripture, the Bible, Christ is where my answers are going to be found. Talking about before I was saved and I studied the Bible and would read and would pray and do all these things. Even before I was a Christian, I would go and you, y'all heard this before. I'd go and I'd sit on my lunch break. I worked at a body shop in Covington. I would go and sit on my lunch break in my truck in Walmart parking lot in Covington. And uh, I would eat whatever. Usually it was Wendy's or something like that. And I would eat and I would pray and I would read my Bible. This is a lost man. I would do it every day. I knew that That's where my answer was going to be found. I knew that that's what my life needed to revolve around. And I would study and I'd read things other people wrote. And I mean, I was into it. I was into it and I enjoyed it. I really did. And the day after, the day after that I got saved, the day after that the Holy Spirit came into my heart and uh, and God accepted me by his grace, I, I was in the same truck, same Bible, same everything, same time of day. Nothing had changed But that day when I read it, I was reading it, I remember it was Romans chapter 11. And it wasn't like God actually said, oh, I want you to be a preacher. Oh, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, it was as if God spoke to me through the reading of his word. And he just said, hey, how you doing? It's nice to meet you. You know, it's nice of you to be here. I'm glad that you're glad that you're with me. I'm glad that you and I now have a relationship and it was so awe-inspiring. It was moving, just sitting there. I mean, look, look stupid, sitting there crying in the middle of the in the middle of the Walmart parking lot. But understand, it was it was something where it was something down deep inside of me that had made contact by the gospel, that had made contact, and it was coming out. It was pouring out in just adoration. I'm not saying, oh, you gotta you know run around and you gotta raise your hands and you when your heart is worshiping, your posture will work. All that'll take care of itself when your heart is worshiping. But I'm talking about down in the depths. I'm not talking about just coming in because this is what we're supposed to do. I'm not talking about singing because this is what we're supposed to do. I'm talking about when your heart just calls out to God, when it pours out praise and adoration. You ever been, you know, dealing with teenagers, they, uh, they think they're in love a lot of times and that love will just hurt. You know, they'll be like, I just... I just long to be with whoever, you know, and of course we know that's just teenage love, but it's almost like, it's almost like your heart's hurting 
just because you want to be around them. I love them so much that I'm hurting. We're talking about that pouring out of adoration, of love, of, of praise and worship to God. This come flowing out of her saying, my soul does magnify the Lord. And she said, and I rejoice. I rejoice. Look what she rejoices in. She rejoices in God. My spirit has rejoiced in God. She's rejoicing in the fact that she is in relationship with God. How can she be in relationship with God? The same way that you and I are, because he is her savior. God is her savior. He, he is, you know, like there, there's a thing about Mary being sinless and all that. She was just like you, just like me. She, she needed a savior, just like you need a savior, just like I need a savior. Her spirit rejoices in the relationship that she has with God. And so this, this worship, this worship just comes pouring out of her. And what I want to show you today as we go and read the rest of this text, and we're not going to be long today, is that you owe this worship. This is not, this is not, um, come on guys, y'all need to really worship like Mary was worshiping. No, this is the worship that is owed God. But I also want to show you that the only way that your heart, your soul and spirit, like these first two verses say, or verse one says, can worship God in this way is if your heart has been changed by grace. If your heart has been changed, that's the only way. So if you leave here and say, you know what? He's right. I need to go worship. I need, I need to really get into this worship deal. Good luck. It's not going to happen. The only way that this worship comes pouring out of you, the only way that your heart and soul and spirit can adore God in the way that he deserves to be adored, the way that he deserves to be loved, is that if your heart has been changed, until that happens, until you've been born again, until the spirit of God comes and remakes your inside, it'll all just be ritual. It'll all just be doing what I'm supposed to do. It'll all be just copying somebody else. Well, this is what we do here, so this is what I'm going to do. It'll all be just, you know, fake. It'll be fake. It won't be down deep in your heart. It won't be a pouring out of love from your heart. It'll just be lip service. And so that's, this is what we're going to see. God owed, God is owed your praise. He's owed your worship. It's not just a matter of you coming to bless God. Of course it does bless God. Of course it does please God. Of course it says he inhabits the praises of Israel. Of course it's a wonderful thing to praise God. But you and I also need to see that he is owed it. He's owed that worship. Now, I'm going to give you like three or four things, uh, reasons why he's owed as we read this. The first one, of course, is just a no-brainer. It's because of the grace that he's given us. Because of the grace that he's bestowed upon us. If he never does another thing for you, if you've been born again today, if God chooses to never do another thing for you, never bless you in any other way other than to save your soul, to give you the grace that brings salvation, he deserves praise and worship today. And look at Mary. She says, my spirit doth rejoice in God, my savior for this is why I'm rejoicing. He hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For henceforth, for behold, henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. He is regarded. It means he's looked with favor at my low, humble estate. Now, I know that Mary's situation is a little unique here. I mean, God's probably, he's not ever going to call you to be the Messiah's mother. 
Uh, So I understand it's kind of unique, but understand that in the same way that he came to Mary and said, Mary, you know, I know that you humble little girl from a nowhere town. uh, I'm going to choose you to be uh, the the mother of the Messiah. I'm going to choose you to bring forth the Messiah and be my vessel that's going to bring forth the, the salvation to the world. I understand that, but also you and I have been regarded. Our lowest state has been regarded. In fact, our state, if you want to say it that way, is a whole lot lower than we think it is. You know, because this salvation is not the salvation we enjoy. It's not just, oh, poor, pitiful me, I need some help. It's not a picture of, think of it this way, it's not a picture of a man uh, who would represent God walking past a hurting person and saying, oh, can I help you? Let me help you. I want to I want to help you out. And that's not the picture of salvation. The picture of salvation is if a king gave his son to die for the enemy of the kingdom, the one who was fighting against him, the one who was trying to overthrow his rule. If you if I was the king and you were trying to overthrow me and destroy everything that I'd made and humiliate me and mock me and rebel against me. And yet I came and gave my son to take your punishment. So our estate is a whole lot lower than we think it is. We, by nature, the Bible says, are enemies of God in our wicked works. It's not just, oh, I wish somebody would help me. We are the enemy. We're on the wrong side of this battle of good and evil. We're, we're on the evil side. And God has given his son and placed his spirit in us to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and make us adopted in his presence. So he has looked upon our low estate with regard. If you're born again, God has regarded your low estate in such a way that we owe him worship. We owe him praise. There's no, even if, even if it was, if the text ended right here and there was nothing else said, Mary stopped her song right here. Understand you and I would owe God praise and owe him worship because he has looked upon our low estate and he has adopted us into his family, redeemed us by the power of his blood and gave his own son so that his enemies The ones who rebel against him could come and be part of his family. I don't know about you, but I'm not giving my son for y'all to have a cold. I mean, if you, I'm not giving mine at all. I mean, I wouldn't give my son a cold for you. But God gave his to die for me when I hated God. When I was a hater of God in my wicked works, when I was, when I was an enemy of God. And she said, and from now on, all these generations are going to call me blessed. We owe him because of his grace. Has he saved you? If you've been born again, you owe him worship. You owe him praise. You owe him love and adoration. You owe him everything. You owe it to him. It's not a matter of, well, they just want me to do this or that. I'm talking about what pours out of your heart. It is owed. It's not something that you're saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to come and I guess I'm going to do, I'm going to praise today. And you know, that's going to make God happy. It's not, it's not a matter. Of course it does, but it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of you owe it. You owe it, whether you like it or not, whether you think you've got a good deal out of this thing or not, whether God has done exactly what you wanted in your life this week or not. You owe that worship to him and says, this is, this is the reasons why, because, because of his grace, of course, but also just because of who he is. God deserves worship because of who he is. He's God all by himself. 
uh, and, and you and I are not. So we, he owes it, we owe him worship because he is God all by himself. It says, this, she's going to uh, uh, give you a few attributes of God. It says, for, this is also why Mary, her soul magnifies the Lord, the Spirit rejoices in God. 49 says, for he that is mighty, he's the mighty one, he hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. So there's three things in there that God is. Number one, he's the mighty one. The mighty one is used for God over and over again in the Old Testament. And so what we see here is the mighty one. I mean, if you think back, Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6, where it says he'll be called Emmanuel, mighty God, wonderful counselor. He's mighty. Gabriel to, uh, to Mary right before this passage says that he will be he that nothing will be impossible for God. So I don't really have to go into great detail about the, the power of God. You know, God is powerful. But what you need to see and what I need to know is all of that power. I mean, think of the power of God that he, number one, can create all these things just by speaking, but also that he sustains all these things. You know, the Bible says that that in him, in him, all things hold together. That means all this is going on. God didn't just create and then back off and let it run on its own. He's holding it together by the power of his word. And if he ever were to take his hand off of the world, everything would just start spinning out of control. You and I, our heartbeat, our breath, our our very life, the fact that blood pumps through us is sustained and held together by God. And when he removes that hand, everything else falls apart. So he's not just, he didn't just create, he is sustaining everything. And all of that power is unimaginable to us that God could say, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there is. He can speak, and it happens. He can do whatever he, de- he de- declares to do in history, in time. He can do anything, everything. There's nothing impossible for God. That's what Gabriel said. But the thing that you and I need to see is all of that power. All of that power comes for us and is lined up for us when we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, all of God's power says all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So this this mighty this mighty one the God is God is mighty all this power is for you. It's not against you, it's for you. Can you imagine such a thing? He's either for you in Christ or he is against you because you are in Adam. And so when we're born again by the spirit of God, you can take comfort. You can take uh, you can take rest in the fact that God is for you. And if God be for you, what's the rest of the verse? Who can be against you? That's right. And there, no weapon form can come against you and prosper. Why? Because the principalities and powers, if you are in Christ, they have to get permission to come. And to, and to deal with you or to, to tempt you or to oppress you or to whatever. Then if they get permission to do it, it's for a good reason. Think of Job. Satan had to come to God and say, I'm going to go get Job. God laid out the rules. He said, I'm going to let you go and I'm going to let you do this. But you're not going to take his life. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. If it comes to you in this life, it's because God has allowed it for a purpose, a good Purpose. So all the power, the mightiness of God is for you if you are in Christ. It's for you. He's also, it says, not just mighty, but he's holy. 
This is what, if you think back, Gabriel said to Mary. He said, that holy child that will come out of you, that holy thing that will come from you. God is holy. This attribute is overarching. Everything about God is holy. This is the one attribute of God that overshadows all the others. The one, what I, what I say, when I mean that, when I say that, what do I mean? It means that everything about him is holy. God is holy. His love is holy love. His righteousness is holy righteousness. He is holy. Everything about him is holy. The seraphim flying around in the throne room of God are not crying out love, love, love. They're crying out holy, holy, holy. Now, what, what, is, what does it mean to be holy when he says uh, God is holy? His, holy is his name in verse, uh, where am I at? Verse 49. Holy is his name. What does it mean? It means he's set apart. He is absolutely other. He is holy. When you think of something holy in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, whatever, they were not to be used for common purposes. They were to be used only for special things. The holy utensils in the tabernacle and those things. God is absolutely holy. He's absolutely holy. That means no unrighteousness can stand before him. If you're not a believer today, if you're lost, That should absolutely terrify you because his holiness is unyielding. It's uncompromising. It doesn't make deals. It's perfect. And so therefore it will always judge perfectly. Everyone, if you look through the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, everyone who was confronted with the presence of God was terrified. Uh, In that passage where the seraphim are flying around saying, holy, 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 uh, um, Isaiah stood in the throne room of God, Isaiah chapter six, and he he said, I am undone. I'm I'm coming apart at the seams is what he said. When he was faced with the presence of the holy God, he was terrified. Even when Jesus stilled the storm and the waves in the boat, when they realized the power, the holiness, the who this was that was standing on the bow of the boat, commanding the waves to stop, commanding the rain to stop. They were terrified. They were scared to death. When, they, when we talked about when angels appear, just the sight of an angel terrifies all, all these people and throughout the scripture. Holiness should terrify you because there's no way that you can stand. It's not going to make a deal with you. It's not going to take circumstances into account. It's going to look right into your heart and it's going to see your motivations. You're not going to be able to talk your way out. You're not going to be able to explain your way out. Holiness is absolutely perfect and it's going to judge perfectly every single time. It should terrify you that you will stand before a holy God and everything unholy will be cast off and burned in the fire. Everything unholy. But if you've been born again, holiness is not terrifying. It's my covering. God has given me, God has given me his holiness. If you've been born again, he's given you his holiness. Um, think the, the word saint, you're going to see it over and over again when you read the letters. The word saint, you know, the, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints, bless the saints. Thank you for taking the collection for the saints. All those, every time you see the word saint, that word means holy ones. 
We have been given the holiness of Christ. We have been given as a covering, not a holiness that belongs to us, but a holiness that has been covered. We have been covered in this holiness of God himself, that by his death, by his burial and his resurrection, we have been made holy. Paul said over and over again, I bring you to Christ that he will present you holy and blameless in the day of judgment. And so this holiness has been given to you and to me. And we can stand before God unashamed. We can stand before God boldly at the throne of grace because we have a covering of holiness that doesn't belong to us, but belongs to Christ that has been given to us. Holy is his name. Even the jacked up saints, even like the church in Corinth, if you read 1 Corinthians, they had all kind of issues, all kind of problems. They were doing lots of stupid stuff. Pretty much the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is Paul rebuking them for one thing or another. But if you look right in those first three verses of chapter one in Corinth, he says to the saints who are in Corinth, to the holy ones. Not because they were acting holy, not because they were better than everybody else, because they were in Christ Jesus. And so when you, if you've been born again, you have the holiness of God that's your covering. If you have not been born again, there is no hope for you standing before the terrifying holiness of God. Holy is his name, but he's also merciful. It said his mercy is on them that fear him. Now, I don't have to explain mercy to you. That means when you don't get what you deserve, you and I deserve wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. You for your sin deserve all the condemnation and wrath of God. And when he sheds his mercy upon you, that means you don't get what you deserve. But that only comes through Christ. It only comes through being born again by the spirit of God. It says, and his mercy is on them that that fear him. His mercy is on them that fear him. Now understand this fear and it's not, we're not talking about cowering in the corner, terrified. We're talking about honoring God. We're talking about honoring his name. We're talking about living for him, walking after his commands, uh, listening to his word. We're talking about obeying him. We're talking about patterning your life after what God says and who God is. That's who those who fear him. Understand you and I will stand. You and I will stand before that terrifying holiness. And the only thing that's going to help us, the only thing that we we can, the only hope that we can have in is that God is merciful. But look who he's merciful to. He's merciful to them that fear him. Those that walk after his name. We're not talking about perfection. Of course, you know, by now we're talking about those who are in Jesus Christ, who have been changed from the inside. Those who fear him. Those who fear him, those who are walking after his command. You know, most of us, most of us, most of us just don't think that the almighty is worth living for. I mean, he's just not worthy. He's not worthy of my life. He's not worthy of me patterning my life after his commands. He's not worthy. That's what, when we live our lives outside of Christ, outside of walking after God, outside of of following after him or seeking him or loving him, adoring him, worshiping him, when we do that, you are effectively saying, you, God, are not worth me living for. I'm living for this. I'm living for that. I'm living for, for... You know, whatever, money, wealth, fame, comfort, possessions, happiness. I'm living for all these things. 
The Almighty God is not worthy of my life. He's not worthy of my allegiance. He's not worthy of my worship. He's not worthy of my love. Today, I want you to know that God is, God is owed. You owe Him. He, give, he gave you life. He created you. He has sustained you from the day that you were born until today. Every beat of your heart, I, don't, I wish I would have looked it up, but I don't know how many times a day your heart beats Every beat of that heart is a blessing that has been given to you. Every breath that you breathe in and you breathe out is because God has allowed it to be so. You and I owe him worship. And when you and I refuse to fear him, which means to walk after his ways, to follow him, to honor him with our lives, we are basically sitting in the lap of God and slapping him in the face and saying, you are not worth my time. You are not worth me living for. The thing that you and I need to see is this mercy is given to us who fear him. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a mercy that's never going to end. Today, it's, we're 2,000 we're something years after this was written. We're 2,000 years after Christ came and died on a cross and was raised from the dead. And today the gospel is for this generation, just like it was 100 years ago, just like it was 500 years ago, just like it was all the way back when this was written. And, you know, if if you and I are all dead, we'll all be dead in 100 years. Everybody in this room will be dead. But that next generation that comes, if the world's still spinning, the mercy of God will be presented to them as well. From generation to generation. All you guys with grandkids and kids and great grandkids, the gospel is going to be brought to them. Your, you and I probably will never see our great, great, great grandkids. But the gospel, if the world's still spinning, Christ hadn't returned, the gospel will be brought to them. The mercy of God will be available for them. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. It'll always be. You can look on the news and say, worry about, you know, all the mess that's going on. You can worry about the shape of the world. And you probably have good reason to, probably have a, a, a right to. Even if they start putting Christians in camps or whatever, whatever, you just pick the scenario that's the worst you could possibly think of. God's mercy, his grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ will still be available from generation to generation as long as the world keeps spinning. So in this thing here, you see God is owed your worship because of these three things. There are lots of other attributes of God, but it specifically says because of because he is mighty, he has the power to do everything because he's holy. He is owed your worship and because he has been merciful and he will continue to be merciful from generation to generation. He is owed our worship, but also because of what he's done. I mean, not just because he is God, he's owed worship, but what he has done in verse 51, it says he has showed strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats, exalted them of low degrees, filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Understand what we're seeing here. A lot of people call these the reversals, the great reversals of God. He takes the proud and the rich and the mighty and he casts them down and he takes the humble and the lowly and he lifts them up. Now, it's not it's all a matter of it's all a matter of pride and trusting in. 
So it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be a, a, a ruler or a have power, like political power. It's not a sin. But when you trust in those things, when you trust in those things, you're effectively saying, I am trusting in these rather than you. God, these are more important than you. This, my riches, my wealth, my comfort, my worldly pleasure, my, my whatever it is that I'm living for, this is where my hope lies, and I'm going to take this over you. He says, for those people, those the proud, those who trust in whatever, because I'm strong, because I can do, you know, I'm, I can do anything. I'm, I, there's nothing that I can't handle as long as I work at it, as long as I whatever, I can do anything. Those who are rich and trust in those riches. I don't have to worry about anything. I got all this money in the bank. Even if something bad happens, you know, I got a backup plan. He, <clears throat> all those all those folks that just trust in those things. It says uh, the ones who are the ones who are rich, the ones who are mighty. It says they trust in their power. No one can throw me down. God, it says God will will cast down the mighty. The rich come before him that trust in their riches. He will send them away empty. He'll send them away empty. And the ones who are proud, he will scatter. Now, uh, the other day I was, I, was at the, I was working at the hospital. We were eating lunch in the cafeteria. And uh, we were just talking to some folks and we had, were done. And I, I just poured some salt on the table. And I was using the salt shaker just to kind of, you know, I was just piddling while I was talking. You know, wasn't doing anything, just kind of doodling and you know, I'm one of them people that have to click something or whatever. And so I'm just messing around on the salt. There's a little pile of salt on the table. We're talking. And when we got done, I just took that salt and I went. Whoosh. And the person I was talking to looked at me like I had just littered on the highway or something. It's like, what are you doing? And I, was, I said, that salt is gone. I mean, go find me a gra- I mean, I, I just I just swiped it and it went out into the onto the I guess it was on the floor for sure. But you couldn't find a single grain of that salt. It was gone. I mean, it was it was spread out. It was scattered and it was gone. You could you couldn't have took a broom and swept that salt together because it was just gone. And so what he's saying, what he's saying here, it reminded me of this when I read it. He said those proud, those who will trust in their own stuff with their own power, their own riches, their own things. And when we talk about trusting, we're talking about living. That's what I live for. That's my purpose in life. He said, they're going to be scattered. This world is passing away. The things in this world are not going to survive. The money that we trust in, the things, the the enjoyment, the pleasures, the comforts, nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with comforts, but trusting in those things, living for those things, they're not going to last. They're going to be gone. And when we put our life invested in those things, guess what? Our life is going to go with them. When they get scattered, when they're destroyed, when they're gone out and they're not going to remain anymore. If our life is tied up with them, our life is going to be scattered just like those things. And so it says it takes the proud and the rich and the mighty, those who've trusted in those things, and he scatters them. He sends them away empty. But those who are humble, what that means is they understand what God's word says, that you don't have anything good to your account. You've never done anything good at all in God's eyes. You might have done a good thing or whatever. We can do good things, but not as far as God's righteousness is concerned. No one has done good, not even one. We recognize that and we own it. 
Understanding that I'm not good and I haven't done anything good and I don't deserve anything. And you and I must reach out our hands like a beggar with absolutely nothing to receive the gift of a king, the gift of grace, the gift of mercy. And so when he says the humble, those who reach out to me, understanding their low estate, understanding their enemies of God, understanding that they have nothing to offer me. And it's just by my grace and mercy that I accept them. He said, I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to raise them up. He says, the humble, I'm going to, I'm going to feed the ones who are hungry. It's the same thing you read over and over again in the New Testament. It's the same thing. The, the last will be first. The first are going to be last. The one who wants to save his life is going to lose his life. Last thing we'll look at. We've seen God is owed worship because of his grace, because he is God, just because of who he is and because of what he's done. The last thing is because he is faithful. He's been faithful to you. I don't care what things have gone on in your life. I don't care what problems that you have or what things that you think God has let you down on. He has been faithful to you. It says in verse 54, it says, and he, he hath helped, which means help. Hoping means helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Why did he help his servant Israel? It was in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and is to his seed forever because he made a promise because he made a promise. Now, understand, you think, well, that's Abraham. And, you know, maybe that's talking about all those Israel got people over in the Middle East and that country or whatever. It's not so. It's not so. Galatians 3.29 says that if you be in Christ, if you be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Go look it up. Galatians 3.29. If you be in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He has kept his promise. His promise has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's kept his word and his people uh, praise him and worship him and serve him because of what Christ has done. So what we see here and we, we wind this thing up is that God is owed your worship. You owe it. It's not a matter of, it's not a matter of, well, I'm going to try to do good. or You owe a debt. You owe a debt. Now, you can't fully pay. Your debt has been fully paid for you. But it doesn't change the fact that you owe God your worship, your adoration, your life. You owe him. You owe him. And you owe him because he has been merciful to you. The fact that you're sitting here is evidence to the fact that he's faithful, that he's done great things for you, and that he is God all by himself. So the question is, when's the last time your heart poured out worship like Mary's does right here? All this that we've read here is Mary's song. It's Mary's song of worship, who God is and what God has done. When's the last time that you worshiped? I know... we. Sometimes it's easy for me as you know, I'm up here playing the guitar during during worship service. It's easy for me just to get lost thinking about chords and thinking about what what lines coming next or where I'm supposed to come. It's easy for me not to worship just because I'm thinking about the mechanics of the song. When's the last time that you truly worshiped from the bottom of your heart, gave God your adoration and your praise and your love? He, he, He is owed. He is owed that worship. Now, whether that means you stand up or keep your seat or raise your hands or bow your head, 
That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about your heart. God looks directly into your heart. He has kept his word to you. He's been good to you, and you owe him that worship. Um, God has kept his word. So which will you be? Are you going to be the proud that's scattered? Or are you going to be the humble that is lifted up? Are you going to be the ones, the, the, the ones who receive mercy, that fear God and live for God? Or are you going to be the one who says, you know, I, I'm living for everything else. Basically, in effect, saying, God, you're not worthy for me to live for you. You're not good enough. You're not, you're not worth my life. I mean, I'll go to church. I'll go on Sunday and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tithe and, I mean, I'll do I'll do what, you know, we all know we're supposed to do. But you're not worth me living for. You're not worth my life. I can't give that much. Understand that the byproduct of a changed heart, the byproduct, what 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 naturally comes out of the born again heart is this praise and this adoration, this worship of God. It may be manifest in lots of different ways. But the byproduct of a changed heart of grace is worship. It's praise. And it's fearing God. It's honoring God with your life. Today, you examine yourself. If that's you, understand His mercy is for, from generation to generation. Today, that mercy is just as real as it was 100 years ago, 500 years ago. And He will accept you if you will trust in Him. But He wants your life. Don't come thinking, well, I'm going to do this and, I, you know, I'm just going to get this done and we need... No, no, we're talking about you giving your life to Christ. You presenting yourself a sacrifice, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he said he'd save you. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful